Good morning. Beautiful day out there this morning, wasn't it? Uh, and beautiful worship service time so far. Thank you, uh, worship team. Um, last time I spoke, uh, someone said I should start with a joke. Uh, so thank you. Uh, you know who you are. And uh, hopefully it will be funny. Uh, and it does tie in with the passage that we're uh, looking at this morning. So that's, uh, that's great. Um, so, and yes, it is a political joke. So hopefully you're, you're ready for that. Uh, so we're going to compare uh, four, tif- four different types of government using two cows, okay? So socialism, socialism would have you give one of your cows to your neighbor and you get to keep the other one. Communism would insist that you give both cows to the state and occasionally you might be fortunate enough to get a little milk or butter. Uh, the Nazis, well, they would shoot you and take both of your cows and then capitalists would sell one of the cows, buy a bull and start a ranch. Um, thank you for your, uh, for your laughter. See, like I said, not that funny, uh, but it does tie in with our, with our passage this morning. So um, I would add one more thing to that, not a form of government, but for us Christians, is a, it's a way of looking at um, our religion, our way of following Jesus, and that's legalism. Uh, we're going to be talking about legalism today in our passage in Luke chapter 6. Uh, legalism would say, uh, would lay down so many rules and regulations concerning the keeping of cows that nobody would want them anyway. Uh, and so that's, uh, we're going to look at the Pharisees today, and we're going to look at how uh, their view uh, on religion and, and how they approached um, their faith uh, in a really legalistic way. Um, I have to admit that I'm a recovering legalist. Uh, I grew up uh, in, in a more legalistic uh, environment. Um, uh, where I went to college uh, was also that way. Um, <clears throat> my parents were part of an organization called Word of Life. It's a great organization. They're doing youth camping and Bible schools and all that all over the world. Uh, but they tended to kind of add a little bit on to, hey, yeah, the Bible says this, but also, you know, if you have the wrong haircut, well, you're probably not super spiritual, right? And so that's what we mean when we're talking about uh, legalism. Uh, at Word of Life where I was, it was tended to be a little bit more legalistic, but there was still joy there. Uh, we still had a lot of fun. We, you know, it was a great environment. I really enjoyed growing up in that environment. Uh, then uh, my, my junior year of college, I transferred to go down to another Bible college, which will remain uh, unnamed from the pulpit here, uh, in case anybody wants to go there. Um, but you may not after my story here, so uh, we'll see. Uh, it, was, uh, it was also tended to be legalistic, but also with a little less joy. Uh, and a little bit less, uh, the, the first was legalist with, legalism with some grace. The, the second was more just, yeah, pretty much just straight legalism. Um, I remember one time, uh, we, we were not allowed to have beards uh, at the college there, which for me was a real, you know, a real problem. Uh, God gifted me with a beard and I wanted to wear it, uh, but that was sinful. Uh, and so one night, uh, and so I, you know, followed along, I would shave, but one night on a weekend, we were going to go camping. Uh, and so I was like, I don't need to shave to go camping, right? Um, and, but we ran into the president of the school on our way to go. We were at a gas station buying some granola bars uh, for breakfast. And he saw me and he, went, he approached me and he saw that I hadn't shaved. And he, he went like this on my face. He goes, what's this? And he turned my face with his finger on the stubble on my face. And I was like, oh, well, I didn't shave because we're going camping. I didn't think that was a big deal. Well, anyway, that's what we're talking about. That's what legalism is. That's what legalism does. So a little bit of a, I think it's funny story. Um, I had a friend at, uh, at this college that has remained unnamed so far. Uh, hopefully, I will keep that up. Um, my friend, Jason Allen. Uh, Jason Allen, 
was not legalistic. Uh, I think Jason, uh, he's with the Lord now. Uh, Jason, to me, really embodied uh, Christ and a way that, uh, of living uh, that we should all uh, aspire to. Uh, Jason um, loved the Lord, uh, and he also was able to, you know, we were river guides at that time, but Jason, I was working at a Christian camp as a river guide, uh, but Jason really had a heart to go into the river guide community, which can be a, a pretty rough community. The river guides, uh, if any of you are familiar, they like to party. Uh, they party pretty hard. Uh, they raft all day. It's fun. It's exciting. You're meeting new people. And then they drink and do whatever else at night uh, and then repeat, repeat, repeat. And so Jason would go into this environment uh, and he would live there on site with the other river guides uh, and he would be Christ to them. Uh, he would be a light to them. Uh, he would do Bible studies. He would hang out with them just like Jesus did, right? He would go, Jesus, the, he was accused by the Pharisees, by the legalists. You're going to all these parties and you're hanging out with the wrong people. Well, that's what Jason did. So that's a little backstory on Jason. Uh, Jason also liked to have a good time. Uh, he was one of my best friends. Um, and so one night, they were up at this Bible college that uh, remains unnamed. Uh, and they noticed that the door to the chapel was unlocked. And they saw an opportunity. Uh, you know, in college, it's fun to do some pranks every now and then. You know, keep, it, keep the uh, administration honest, right? Uh, have a good time. Have a good laugh. So they noticed that the, the chapel door was unlocked. So they said, hey, let's go in and kind of see what we can see. Well, at this school, like I said, it was very legalistic. Well, uh, at that school, they loved the organ, you know, uh, the organ, you know, like we here we have the piano. That's great. But every day as we were walking in the chapel, uh, the president of the school, his wife, would welcome us into chapel by playing the organ. Uh, and it was great. Uh, and it was, you know, it was nice to walk into some nice music. So they're walking around in the chapel and they, know, and they walk up by the organ. They're like... There's a couple of them in there that are like, wouldn't it be funny to take the organ cord and hide it underneath the organ? And then tomorrow at chapel, everyone will be like, whoa, where's the chapel? Where, how are we going to start worshiping without the organ? So that's what they did. They took the organ cord. They hid it underneath uh, the seat. They thought it was just going to be a good, funny time. There was going to be a little bit of distraction in the morning. Um, <clears throat> well, it was more uh, than a distraction. We're all walking into chapel. I, I was not there, so... You know, uh, Jason was, uh, and so I was not part of this, uh, this little prank. But anyway, we're walking in, and there's no organ music. We're like, that's weird. There's always organ music. And then, the, you know, the president and his wife were kind of up front, and they're just, like, panicking, like, what are we going to do? No organ. So turns out that uh, the president, after a couple of minutes, he comes up to the front, and he says, there's sin in the camp. Someone has taken the organ cord. Yeah. Uh, so today, as we talk about legalism, that's what we're talking about. We're kind of talking about taking things that are good things, but we're elevating them to the point where now, if we don't do them or if we do do them, uh, it could be they, that the legalists would consider that sinful. So to finish the story, um, you know, there was, they, you know, they, they called for, hey, if you know anything about this, you need to come and tell us so that we can get rid of the sin in the camp. Uh, well, a week later, they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to put their names out there because they knew they were going to get in big trouble at this point, uh, what they thought was going to be an innocent prank. Uh, so they wrote a note. They said, the organ cord is under the seat. Ha ha. <laughs> they did not like the ha ha part. Uh, they were grateful to get the organ uh, cord back. Uh, and then eventually they did you know, they had to go up and they did find out who it was, so they had to go up in front of the whole chapel and apologize for, uh, for their shenanigans. 
So <clears throat> we're going to be talking about legalism uh, this morning. And, you know, like I said, a recovering legalist, uh, I think legalism will tend to lead to, to one of two uh, ways of living. It will either lead to rebellion, right? Because you're, you're like, that's not even in the Bible. Why are you make, elevating that to the same level as the Bible? And so some people are going to tend to want to rebel against that. The other uh, is going to lead to pride. Oh, I'm checking all the boxes. I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to do, and it's going to lead to pride. And so legalism really is uh, a deadly way of, of approaching our faith. Uh, in this passage, it really talks about the Pharisees and their legal way of, of, of living in faith. Uh, but I think the flip side of that, which is probably more what we tend to, to kind of live uh, in California, in America, um, I think we've kind of swung the pendulum some, maybe, or at least uh, in the South and in, where I grew up in the Northeast, it was definitely more legalistic. The flip side of that, or kind of the pendulum swing, is, is called antinomianism. Uh, or uh, abuse of grace, right? Antinomianism or abuse of grace. Paul addresses that. He said, you know, in Romans 7 and 8, he talks about, well, if we're under grace, we can just do whatever we want, right? So that's the anti or the abuse of grace way of living. So we've got legalism. We've got abuse of grace. Hey, we're under grace. Jesus has forgiven us of our sins, so we can do whatever we want. There's no longer any, you know, moral law, behavioral norms are kind of thrown out the window. Uh, we're free from the biblical law. So in other words, an antinomian, an antinomian sees himself as under no obligation to follow any type of moral code. He is completely free. And I think as Californians, as, uh, as our culture today, we kind of tend towards that. Uh, I think you would agree. So in this passage, we're going to take a look at Jesus. Uh, we're going to see that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And in this passage, he confronts the legalism of the Pharisees through himself through who he is, through his actions, and he points us to a better way, uh, a better way to live. So let's read that passage together. It's Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Let's, uh, let's, I'll read that this morning. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So let's, let's get a little history lesson on the Sabbath. Uh, Sabbath, uh, what's its history? Why were the Pharisees so, so wrapped up around you know, Jesus breaking the Sabbath? 
Uh, if we see in Genesis chapter 2, uh, that's where we first see uh, this idea of Sabbath, Genesis 2, verses 2 through 3. Uh, by the, and that's, uh, uh, I'll read that. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of the creating that he had done. God rested. Uh, the Jewish word there, or the Hebrew word is Shabbat, uh, and that word is where we get our, uh, our word Sabbath. Uh, this word, where it's used here, uh, it's the idea of clocking in, uh, or clocking out, sorry, at the end of the day. So I've finished my work, and I'm clocking out, and I'm, I'm resting uh, for the rest of the day. So God after a week of making uh, order out of chaos, God clocks out and he takes uh, Shabbat, he takes Sabbath. Uh, in the same passage, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, uh, there's another word there. It kind of carries on with uh, this idea of rest, of Sabbath. Uh, it's in verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This, the, the, the phrase there, put him in the garden, is taken from the Hebrew word nuach. I'm not probably pronouncing that correctly, uh, but it means rest. And in this passage, when it's talking about rest, uh, it's talking about uh, finding your dwelling place, your place where you rest. Uh, so this idea that we clock in, at, that we clock out, that we take a day of rest, but that God is also giving man a place to rest. It's like kicking your feet up at the end of the day in front of your fire um, and finding and having that place of rest, your home, uh, that place of dwelling. Uh, continuing on, uh, Shabbat, or taking the Sabbath, actually makes the Ten Commandment list. So this is a pretty big deal, right? Uh, this is like the, the Big Ten, uh, and taking a Sabbath uh, makes the Big Ten. Uh, I think there was over 600 laws that the, that the Hebrews uh, followed at that time, uh, and then there's ten that make the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, and this idea of taking the Sabbath... Uh, makes the Big Ten list. It's the fourth commandment, uh, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Uh, verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So this is a big deal, right? God, uh, obviously, he's setting an example uh, to us. God doesn't need to rest, but after his work of creation, he takes a day of rest. Uh, he includes it in uh, the Ten Commandments, right? So it's a big deal. So the Pharisees, uh, rightfully so, they're the religious leaders of that time, they're saying, hey, the, the Sabbath and taking the Sabbath and resting, having that day of rest, it's a big deal. Uh, but why did God command the Sabbath? Um, I would, uh, if you want to, you can turn to Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 12 to 13. Uh, and, uh, and that passage shares a little bit of insight with us as to why God gave the Sabbath. Verse 12 says, Also I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us, so they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. Yet the people of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not follow my decrees, but rejected my laws, by which the person who obeys them will live. And they utterly desecrated my Sabbath. So I said, I will pour out my wrath on them and destroy them in the wilderness. So in this passage, we see two reasons why God gave uh, the Sabbath, two reasons. Uh, he gave the, the Sabbath uh, so that there would be a difference between Christ followers, or at that time, God followers, and, and everybody else, right? There's, we're going to take one day, we're going to set it aside, we're going to rest. That's making us different than everybody else. Uh, it also says there uh, that he gave uh, the commandment, or he gives us the commandments so that we can live. Uh, I was talking to, uh, I was just down last week, we were at Hume Lake, 
um, for the Christian Camp Conference Association. It was a great time. Uh, we had seminars. We had a speaker. There was great worship. It was a, it was a beautiful place down at Hume Lake. Uh, and I was talking to him because um, preaching is really out of my comfort zone. Uh, I don't think that it's, you know, I'm not like eager to like, yeah, let me go preach, right? Uh, but I've been trying to be faithful that when asked uh, to say yes, uh, I've just been um, kind of working through that. But anyway, I've, it, whenever I have to preach, I'm like thinking about it for weeks. I'm like, oh, what am I going to say? Am I going to rightly divide the word of truth? Is it going to be, you know, I want it to be effective and I want it to speak to our hearts. So anyway, I was talking to uh, the speaker that was down there. Uh, his name was Chris. And hey, I was like, hey, I'm preaching on this passage. I've been thinking about it. What do you think? Uh, one of the things that he said that I thought was pretty insightful was that another reason that, that the Lord gives us commands oftentimes is to kind of be in opposition to one of the things that we often make an idol out of, right? And so we can make an idol out of our work. I'm a worker. I work hard. I do good work. And so, the God, so God says, hey, I want you to take a Sabbath. I want you to take a day where you're not going to work, where you're going to rest. Uh, he does the same thing with money, right? We can tend to make an idol out of money. I want to make money. I want to have all the things. I want to go on the cool vacations. So he says, hey, I want you to give 10% uh, back to me. Uh, so that's, I think, another reason uh, that we can see these, these commands from the Lord. Um, but I think Jesus really affirms back to us this idea of Okay, I've given you these commands to kind of help you alleviate the idols of your heart, to turn back to me, uh, to sacrifice, to give back. Uh, He gives us these commands to uh, set us apart. He gives us these commands so that we can live. They're for our good, right? We need Sabbath. How many of us are just like at the end of the work week or just every day, you're like, wow, I'm just exhausted. I need to go home and I need to rest. I need to refocus. I need to um, get connected to, to God. So Jesus affirms uh, this idea that he has come to give us life. These, these laws, these regulations are not for our hindrance, they're for our good. Jesus in John 10, verse 10, he says, I have come to give you life and a more abundant life, right? These laws are not so that we can, you know, live this terrible life. These, lo- these laws that God gives us are for our good. And I think Sabbath... Um, um, is just super important. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 29, so this is kind of the sister passage of, of Luke chapter 6 that we're, we're looking at today. Uh, the same story is in Matthew chapter 12. And right before, he, right before Matthew goes into these stories in Matthew chapter 12, he has these two verses, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 29. Again, speaking to the fact that these laws that God gives us are for our good. Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29 says... Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So God's, God's commands, his command for Sabbath uh, is good. It's good for us, and we should, we should take that seriously. Uh, we are under grace. Um, Jesus has fulfilled the law. Uh, and so it is, no, it is no longer something that, hey, if you, you know, the, the Jews and the way that they approach the law, uh, the way that we do today, being in Christ, uh, is certainly different. Uh, but the, the fact remains uh, that Jesus did, he wants our good. And so if we can remember to take that Sabbath um, and practice that, I think that's a good thing. So that's Sabbath. That's a little bit of history on the Sabbath. Now we have a little bit of history of, of where the Pharisees are coming from, right? They 
Genesis chapter 2, it's one of the first things God says to his, you know, it kind of sets an example, and then it makes the top 10 list. So now that's where the Pharisees are coming from. Uh, the Pharisees were supposed to be the religious leaders of that time. Um, they were the religious leaders of that time. They just were not leading people towards uh, faith. Uh, every time I read about the Pharisees, I ask myself, am I a Pharisee? Right? I'm a camp director. I'm a, you know, at a Christian camp. Um, I'm a dad right? That's leading my family. I'm a husband that's leading my wife. Uh, am I a Pharisee? Um, and I think it's important for us to stop and think and ask ourselves that same question. What really drove the Pharisees? Uh, Matthew 23 says that it was pride that drove the Pharisees. So am I serving? Am I leading? Am I working out of a place of pride? Or am I doing that out of a place of love uh, and overflow? And Sometimes I go back and forth between the two, right? It's, it's, uh, it's hard to always be serving out of that place of love. And sometimes we want to do a great job, right, in our work. And that's a good thing. But when it becomes a bad thing is when I'm serving out of pride for people to look at me instead of people looking at Christ as I serve. And I think that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were serving out of pride. Matthew 23 uh, t- talks about that. If you want to turn there, you can. We're going to read a couple passages from there. But it was their pride that drove them. They wanted to be seen as the religious, right? There's multiple stories. Matthew 23 says they they wanted to wear the right things. They wanted to be seen by people. Uh, They would, you know, um, I forget the passage right now, but the prayer, you know, the Pharisee stands up and he's kind of giving this boisterous prayer. And then the man stands up and he says, you know, uh, woe is me, I'm a sinner, basically. And, And Jesus says, hey, that guy, not the Pharisee, uh, is the one is, that's seeking the Lord, right? The Pharisee is just seeking, hey, look at me. Um, we can often do that, right? Uh, stand, up, you know, stand up and pray or carry the bigger Bible or have the right haircut or wear the three-piece suit. That was the big thing at, at the school that will remain unnamed. Um, you know, if you had the three-piece suit on, you were good. But if you wore baggy pants with pockets on the sides, you were not good. That was sinful, right? Um, so anyway, am I acting out of, a, out of a place of pride or a place of love? Jesus is pretty scathing. Matthew 23, uh, in this passage, he calls uh, the Pharisees lots of different names. Uh, he calls them hypocrites, snakes, whitewashed tombs, blind fools, a brood of vipers. Right? Those aren't, I don't know what, the, what today's version of those words might be, but it's bad. Right? Jesus is like, man, you guys are missing the mark. And then he gives them seven woes, right? Woe to you for this, woe to you for that, woe to you for that. Uh, so there, the, we're going to just look at two of the woes in Matthew chapter 23. Gives us a pretty good picture of, of what Jesus thought of the religious leaders of that time. Verse 23 in chapter 23 of Matthew. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. He's like, hey, giving the 10%, that's important. He's not saying, hey, that's not important, but he's saying you're kind of missing it. You're, you're so focused on just giving the 10% of your spices that you're forgetting about justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He goes on in verse 25, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, 
but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Right? The Pharisees were so focused on looking right, on doing the right thing so that others could see it, and they were neglecting their hearts. And so they were serving out of a place of pride and not out of a place uh, of love or just justice or mercy uh, and faithfulness. So a little bit more about the Pharisees. Uh, according to some of the research, that's, that's the fun part about preaching. You get to kind of dig in and find out a little bit more uh, about um, you know, the context of the passage. So a little bit more about the Pharisees. Uh, according to some of the study I did, there were never more than 6,000 Pharisees in the country at any one time. Uh, they were known as the Chabura, or the Brotherhood. They entered into this brotherhood by taking a pledge in front of three witnesses that they would spend their lives observing every detail of the scribal law. Okay? That was the problem. Right? The scribes, we have God's law, then we have the scribal law, and they were so focused on observing every detail of the scribal law in addition to God's law. Uh, so the scribal law was called the Mishnah, uh, and then there was also a writing that, that that's the writing uh, that codified the scribal law, and then there was also the Talmud, uh, which is the commentary on the Mishnah. And so the Pharisees, they were so focused on those two books uh, that oftentimes they would miss uh, God, what God was trying to say. A perfect illustration of that is in this passage, right? Uh, uh, when we're looking at the Sabbath, the Bible clearly told the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20, uh, do not work, remember the Sabbath, keep it a holy day. Uh, well, they had to take it a step further and define what does work mean, right? What does that mean to keep it holy? And we all need to do that, right? We need to take that passage and we need to interpret it and decide, okay, what is God uh, saying to me, okay? We can all agree that God says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? Would we all agree with that? Yeah, okay. Well, what does that mean? Right? What does it mean to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? On six days you'll work, on the seventh you won't. Right? How we interpret that could be a little bit different from person to person, uh, from denomination to denomination. Right? We can all agree as Christians, God says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. But how we interpret that, that can be a little bit different. At, at camp, we call that closed hand and open hand. Right? The closed hand thing is that the Bible says, Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, right? So that's the thing that we're all going to agree on. The open-hand conversation, well, what does that really mean? Does that mean I can't mow my lawn on Sunday? Does that mean I can't play sports? Does that mean I have to go to church? Does that mean dot, dot, dot? What does that really mean? And that's the thing that we can kind of have a, a conversation around to say, okay, let's interpret that. Let's dig into the scriptures and really decide what does that mean? Uh, and God might lay on our hearts something that's a little bit different uh, than a friend, uh, but that doesn't mean that, we're, that we can all be together as Christians agreeing that God says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, but as far as, okay, what exactly does that mean, uh, we can talk about that. So work had to be defined by the Pharisees, uh, keep it holy had to be defined, and what they did uh, is they would get really uh, down to uh, the nitty-gritty. So, for example, getting milk enough for one swallow, that was okay. But if you got milk for two swallows, well, that was too much, too much work, right? Uh, you could carry a spoon, but only if it weighed less than a fig, right? So we were really getting down to the nitty-gritty of, okay, what's okay, what's, what's not okay? It was the scribes and the Pharisees who were embroiled over the discussion as to whether or not the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, a woman could wear a brooch, 
could a mother pick up her child? That was considered work. Uh, a man could wear his wooden leg, right? Could he put his wooden leg on to go walk around for the day? Was that considered work? Could you walk on the grass, right? Because that could be considered harvesting. If you broke a grass blade, well, that could be considered work um, by the Pharisees. And so that's, that's where we're talking about adding on to God's law, and now they've taken the scribal law, and they're adding on to what God has said. So it's from that place that the Pharisees approach Jesus, um, and they've taken the scripture and interpreted it in a way that has added on to what God has said. And they say, you know, they, they come to Jesus, two, two things here. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So that's their first question. And then the second thing uh, is that they, it appears that they're trying to set a trap for Jesus in the second part of the passage here, right? Uh, and to see if Jesus is going to do work on the Sabbath. So his, his response to the first question, uh, he tells a story about David, right? Um, he doesn't truly answer their question here uh, directly, uh, but he tells them a story, as Jesus often would, right? Um, so Jesus answers them in verse 3. He says, have you never read, right? That's kind of a underhanded, like, hey, you're the Pharisees. You know the Scriptures, uh, but have you never read what David did, right? When he was hungry, he went into, um, he entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some, of his, some to his companions. So he doesn't say, you know, hey, is it, is it lawful, unlawful to work on the Sabbath? Um, or why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He doesn't directly address the question. He points them to this story about David and he says, basically, what I, what I interpret there is that he's saying, you don't, you don't accuse David. Why are you accusing me and my, my followers? Right? That's kind of what I take from that. And then he responds by saying, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So he's saying, hey, you don't accuse David. Well, I am greater than David. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I created the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath up uh, in the beginning. Right? And so he's basically saying to them uh, that the creator is greater than the creation and that I can, you know, that I have authority to do what I want to do because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The second part of the, of the passage um, is the healing, right? Is it, uh, is it impossible to, um, to think that we might do the same thing? to think that, you know, we're going to try to trap somebody in, in doing wrong, right? And so Jesus is really going to address them directly. So let's look back at that uh, here. Um, they were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looks around at them all, and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he did so, and his hand was completely restored. So Jesus confronts their, their legalism um, with a question, and then he performs uh, a healing on the Sabbath. He's basically saying, is it, is it lawful? He asks them, is it lawful to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? He answers his own question by healing the man's hand. It is okay to do good on the Sabbath. Did Jesus break the law? 
You know, I mean, God, he gave us the law. He's here. He's the son of man. Uh, that phrase, the son of man, uh, he uses that throughout the scriptures. It basically means that he's a, he's, you know, a human being. Uh, it also has a correlation back to uh, Daniel chapter 7. Um, and in Daniel chapter 7, when that, uh, that phrase is used, um, kind of lost in my notes here for a second. Uh, in Daniel chapter 7, the, that same uh, phrase, the son of man, is, is saying that he's the heavenly one. So the phrase in Daniel is the heavenly one. Here in Mark, or here in Luke, it is uh, the, the human being. And he's calling himself the, the, the son of man, and he's basically saying, I'm fully man, and I am that exalted one. I am uh, the creator. So did Jesus break the law? No, right? Did he break their interpretation of the law? Yeah, right? Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. What was it, what was it that God intended by giving us that command? And Jesus is saying, hey, it is okay to do good on the Sabbath. Uh, in Luke 13, uh, Jesus confronts the Pharisees again about their double standard. Uh, he, the, the story there, again, he's doing a healing on the Sabbath. And, hey, Pharisees, it's okay for you to untie your horse and lead it to water to get a drink for the day, but it's not okay for me to heal. So it's okay to do this good, to take care of my donkeys, but it's not okay for me to... Uh, to address this person that needs my help. I am able to give him help, and I'm going to do it. Because the, the Sabbath is not about denying people help um, if we can give it. So what's the, what is the response of the Pharisees? The Pharisees leave furious, right? They are angry. They could not get past the letter of the law. And when the author of the law shows up, they want to kill him because he challenges their way of living and their way of thinking. So what's our response to the law? We've talked about this. We usually interpret the law one of two ways, right? Either legalism or law, that would be the Pharisees, uh, my college, uh, or antinomianism or grace. We kind of tend towards one or the other. Uh, I think abuse of grace, right? Because we, we do want to live in grace, but we don't want to live in a place where we abuse grace. So whether we tend towards legalism or antinomianism, uh, I believe that we should be trying to live the Jesus way, right? Jesus here is addressing and, say, and showing us a way that's different from what the Pharisees were doing, um, and that way is the gospel way. Uh, Jesus is saying, hey, live the way that I live. Uh, as Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus had the right, he had the power and the authority to dispense that power in any way that he pleased. The Lord of the Sabbath had come, uh, and with his death and resurrection, he became the fulfillment of our Sabbath rest. The salvation we have in Christ has made the old law of the Sabbath no longer needed or binding. Jesus said in Mark 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus in that passage is attesting to the fact that just as the Sabbath day was originally instituted to give man rest from his labors, so did he come to provide us rest from laboring to achieve our own salvation by our works. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, we can now forever cease laboring to attain God's favor and rest in his mercy and his grace. Jesus calls us to a third way to live. He calls us to the gospel way. The gospel way is this. Uh, this is a quote by Tim Keller. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ 
than we ever dared hope. Let me say, let me say that again. We, in the gospel, we see that I am more sinful and flawed in myself than I ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, I am more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than I ever dared to hope. The law shows us our sin. That's really what the law was about, was to show us that, hey, we can't reach uh, you know, all of the commands. We can't practice those things perfectly. Jesus upped that even further by saying, hey, the commandment said don't kill. Well, I say if you've even committed or if you've hated someone that you've broken that commandment. The law shows us our sin. But in Christ, I see God's love for me in spite of that sin, right? In the gospel, I'm humbled. I see my own sin. I acknowledge my own sin. I acknowledge that oftentimes it's pride uh, or greed or covetousness or hatred sometimes that is going to drive me. Uh, and Jesus says, hey, acknowledge that. Uh, we repented together this morning. That's a biblical thing. Acknowledge our sin, repent, and turn to God. So I can say, I'm not any better than any of you. And all of us should be able to say that too, right? I am a sinner, for all have sinned, Romans 3.23 tells us. We're all sinners, right? And we are all uh, doomed except for Jesus, right? So in Jesus, in the gospel, I am affirmed. So as I look at the law and I look at my own sin, I'm humbled. As I look at Jesus, as I look at the gospel, I am affirmed. I am loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I am known. He knew me in the womb before I even came out uh, into this world. God knows me. And I'm a child of God, right? So I'm humbled as I look at my own sin, and I acknowledge that. But at the same time, I'm affirmed. I am loved. I am known. I am a child of God. So let's consider the place of our hearts together. <clears throat> uh, do you tend toward legalism? Is there a place where you need to soften? Uh, not on the law of God, but on, in any ways that maybe you've added on to the laws of God, uh, and you need to be merciful and lay those extra burdens aside uh, so that there aren't extra burdens added to those who would want to follow Jesus. Do I tend toward abuse of grace or antinomianism? Did God really say, ah, God will forgive me. We're under grace. Ah, it's not really that bad. And so we ignore the law and the call of God on our hearts to live uh, our lives to be a light in the darkness. May we all aim toward the third way of living and constantly going back to that way. I'm a sinner. I can acknowledge that. It's humbling, uh, but that is the position that we should have as Christians. I am saved by grace. <clears throat> and in that, um, I can know that I am loved. Uh, I can know that I am known by God. And I can know that, that I am his child. And out of that mindset, may we humbly make Jesus known to those God puts in our lives. Uh, the religious leaders and Jesus' time were not you know, making an inviting place for, for Christ uh, to be made known. Uh, may we, as a community, uh, in our families, in our homes, we, may we live in such a way that it is attractive to the outside world uh, to want to be a part of what Christ is doing in our lives and in our community. 
uh, they will know we are Christians by our love, right? And it is out of that love that we should, we should live every day. Um, love for God, what does that mean for you? Love for others, uh, that's really boiling down the law, right? Jesus took it from the 600 and whatever, however many laws, then there was 10, and then he wrapped it up with two. Love God, love people, right? That's the heart of the law, right? It is tend- intended for our good. Those laws were not put in place to, to harm us. They were put in place to help us to see our sin, but also to help us to live better lives. Uh, the laws that God has in place for us today are the same. But it boils down to two things, love God and love people. And that's the third way uh, to live. So today I'll just ask, um, is there any sin that, that you need to repent of? Um, you know, God calls us to right living. Uh, and we need to acknowledge our sin and turn from it. And we need to accept the grace that 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 he offers. Grace, I like the acronym, is God's riches at Christ's expense. Christ died so that I could be forgiven. Christ died so that I could be a child of God. And that's what, that's what grace is. So do, is there anything that I need to repent of, whether that's greed or pride, not loving others as I should, I'm not talking necessarily about, well, I stole that thing, you know, maybe you need to repent of that also. But what is the motivation of our heart that maybe we need to repent of? You need to accept the grace that God offers uh, through Jesus in your life. Uh, So yes, acknowledge, repent, turn away from that sin, but also say, Jesus, wow, thank you. You paid for that, and I am forgiven, and to accept that uh, in your life. So let's repent and accept his forgiveness today. Uh, Let's turn to Jesus and practice living the third way, the gospel way, out of humility, acknowledging my sin, and out of affirmation, knowing who I am, at the same time. Let's not live like the Pharisees did. Uh, Let's live like Jesus did. Uh, Let's pray together. Uh, Dear God, we thank you for this time to look into your word. Uh, I pray that uh, it spoke to our hearts, um, whether we need to consider Sabbath, Lord, and what that looks like in our lives and uh, practicing that, whether we need to look at our hearts and is there pride or greed that's driving us just like the Pharisees, uh, or is it love? Uh, Lord, as you displayed, Uh, to this man that you healed, doing good. That's really what love is, right? Doing good, serving others, giving of ourselves uh, for someone else. And so, God, I pray that we would do that for you today um, in ways that you call us to, and that we would do that for others uh, so that you might be known and glorified. We pray these things in your name. Amen.